before beginning in the sermon, I want to give a warning. Uh, I'm getting, um, I'm having power problems on my computer. So if, um, if I do suddenly blink out, I have a wonderful backup here with my phone and I will get right back on Zoom and get my video and audio up via phone. So no worries, just bear with us. If you've never witnessed a child dedication, you have a treat awaiting you. And if you have, you know that it is a simple but profound ceremony. As we typically say by way of introducing this ceremony, it is about welcoming children, formally giving them their names, thanking and praising the spirit of life that brought them forth, and pledging our support to them but, and their families. It typically involves touching them with water and with a new, barely opened white robes. Although it takes only a few minutes, it involves more meanings than we can possibly explore today in one service. But I'd like to explore a few because the ritual by which we welcome children conveys, often without words, what we think about the purpose of life, our relationship to whoever or whatever created us, what it means to live a good life, and what we need in order to do so. And the ways that it varies among traditions and changes over the years say a great deal about all of these things. So let's look into the history a little. By the way, Dan Harper, with his historian sensibility and love of research, compiled a terrific collection of documents on baptisms and dedications, and I'm gratefully drawing on them today. To read the originals, which have lots more fascinating details than I can share in one sermon, visit Dan's blog. Baptism is, of course, one of the most important rituals in Christianity. Therefore, I'm sorry to say it is one of the most contentious. Numerous schisms have caused the creation of numerous new sects of Christianity because of their differences of opinion about baptism. Running water or still, immersion or sprinkling. Do it in infancy or do it in adulthood. People have literally died for these differences or rather for what those differences stood for. To the oldest extant Christian churches, the Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic, baptism is a sacrament. <clears throat> it literally transforms the person baptized. Specifically, it saves them from the state of original sin that they, that all of us, inherit because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve, according to these traditions. There are exceptions and leniencies per permitting some into heaven without being baptized, but in general, the Catholic Church holds that we are, quote, born into this world dead in sin. And we must be clean, cleansed of that sin through the ritual of baptism, hence the water. Even though Martin Luther and Jean Calvin led two earth-shaking reform movements, which in, turn, in, in time led millions away from the Roman Catholic Church into the first Protestant traditions, they both insisted on infant baptism as well. But while the largest descendant of Luther's Reform Reformation, Lutheranism, holds that baptism is essential to salvation, the largest descendant of Calvin's Reformation, the Reformed Church, which includes Presbyterianism, does not. 
it turns out that there are a lot of reasons to welcome infants with a religious ritual, even if one does not consider the ritual necessary for the salvation of their souls. As Unitarians and Universalists developed their own theologies that took them away from their Protestant roots, they nevertheless continued to welcome children with a ritual that on its surface resembled baptism. But the differences are more profound than just a change in words. Our Universalist ancestors called themselves that, by that name because they believed in universal salvation. Unlike the Calvinist churches from which they split off, which held that few of us are destined for salvation, Universalists believed that the loving self-sacrifice that Jesus made extended to everyone for all time. No child was born into original sin as a result. And many 19th century Universalist parents did not present their newborn babies to the minister in order for him, it was always a him then, to wash clean their souls. On the contrary, in one formula from 1850, the minister would address the child, child of innocence, emblem of purity, and image of thy maker. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. Now in the morning of life, while yet unstained with sin, we present thee a living offering, a lamb without blemish, to the good shepherd and bishop of our souls. Okay, now, I know the offering language, the lamb, is a little strange to modern ears. But be assured, the intent was not for the child to be a sacrifice. Jesus, for these universalists, is the shepherd, the one who lovingly cares for the sheep. And he is the bishop, the overseer, the supervisor who guides us. And so, one of the deep meanings of our ritual of dedication is the conviction that as the young mother in Robert Walsh's anecdote hoped to hear, God is not a punishing judge, but a caregiver, a caretaker, our companion and help in this life. Now, in that mid-19th century universal, universalist world, there was a more traditional option as well. Those who wished a baptism could request it. You can see our individualism was in evidence already. People have their own religious paths even within our church. And there are always those who prefer the older ways. But even in the baptism formula, the emphasis was on God as the source of, quote, our life and all its blessings. God, quote, the infinite fountain of good. And if the family preferred the wording that I shared before about the child being innocent and pure, created in the perfect image of their maker, then the ritual would be called a dedication, as we call it today. And this being another of our meanings, we have kept water as part of the ritual, but significantly revisited, revised, I should say, significantly revised its meaning <clears throat> from water that washes away original sin to, in this case, a Unitarian ritual in 1827 that praised that this childlike purity of which the water is but the emblem may never be tarnished. That children, far from being laden with sin at their birth, they are pure and innocent. Now, one of the criticisms of Unitarian Universalism, and particularly our Unitarian strain, is that we can be naively idealistic about human nature. 
we could challenge that 1827 minister. If children arrive on earth in a state of purity, how is it that they sometimes grow up to do evil things? It doesn't explain anything if we blame their parents or society, because then we have to wonder how their parents and the people who make up their society ever fell from this state of grace. I suppose one could blame the slings and arrows of physical suffering, but that seems a little weak to me to explain the extent of human evil. So it's fascinating to watch a more nuanced view of human nature emerge in a Unitarian dedication ceremony 95 years later, in 1922, when the minister speaks of water as, quote, the emblem of that purity which the Heavenly Father desires in the souls of all his children. Another of the deep meanings the ritual carries is our conviction that as we grow, we experience impulses to do loving, good things, and we experience impulses to do hurtful, hateful ones. And we fervently wish that both we and the children in our care will choose the loving way. So let's spend some time with that word dedication and the many meanings it carries. One meaning is the dedication of the parents or whoever is raising the child to do so with reverence, love, and respect. At one remove from that meaning is that of the dedication of the community, the congregation, to be the village that will help raise this child well. And underlying both of those is our belief that what we do matters. This is not at all a given in our theological history. Calvinism, for example, has a strongly fatalistic um, strain in it, that God's grace will do what it will do and no one can resist it, and if we don't have it, we can do no good. As Unitarians and Universalists, and now since 1961, Unitarian Universalists, we're not fatalistic. We do not believe that God or anyone or anything else doomed each child to a particular destiny. We do not believe that the power of good is so irresistible that nothing we do is needed. Nor do we believe that the temptation to do wrong is so overwhelming that nothing we do can help. Human choices and actions make a difference. They help make the world that we will inhabit. And so after handing the child a rose that echoes their own unfolding beauty, we remind ourselves, if our hopes for this child are to blossom, we must water them with love and commitment, creating the community for them that we wish Hey everyone, Amy dropped out. Uh, I'm going to run down and see if I can get her back on. Hold on, please. I'm back. 
After handing, am I back on now? Fire. Oh, Dan is inviting me to come to the main hall, which makes a lot of sense. I'll be right there. Great scene in Vertigo. And um, great can, before she continues, can I just get a sound check, please? Hello. Are you hearing me now? Can people hear Amy? How's that? Please type in the chat. Good. Yeah, go. Could be better. And I will, before we resume, give you an apology. I was so proud of all the uh, technical stuff I did, all the connections I made, but I completely forgot about the all important power button until, power cord until my computer said, we're running out of power, oops. As I was saying, because human choices and actions make a difference, after handing the child a rose that echoes their own unfolding beauty, we say aloud, if our hopes for this child are to blossom, we must water them with water, with, with love and commitment creating the community for them that we wish to see flourish in their time. Another meaning of dedication is to dedicate the child to the church. Well, what does that mean? When it comes to the meaning of membership in the church, we are, hold on tight here, close kin to the Baptists. For us, membership is something one undertakes of one's own free will. A child may enjoy this congregation and consider it their home and tell the world they're a Unitarian Universalist, that's all great, but until they are old enough to consider their beliefs and values and to make a conscious commitment to them, children have a different status than adults. Of course, that realization doesn't all happen at the same time, at the same age, um, but in our congregation, it changes when they are 15 years old or have completed the coming of age program in which they explore important religious questions and express their own credo. Then they can choose to become members. Likewise for Baptists, this process must be carried out consciously and with commitment and the decision to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, what they call believer's baptism, is what makes one fully a member of that church, a member of the body of Christ in their terminology. Only then do they have the baptism ceremony. One is baptized, 
with water, and it is the outward symbol of an inner transformation that has already occurred. The water itself does not transform the person from an unsaved to a saved status. This was such a controversial idea that Baptist ancestors, the Anabaptists, were persecuted for their conviction and their practices in many countries, tortured, executed, exiled. That persecution continued against Baptists in colonial America, where among the other violence and discrimination against them, they could be found guilty of child abuse for denying their babies baptism. So if one believes, as we clearly do, that the important religious decisions are not possible for a child to make, much less an infant, why do we have a ritual at infancy at all? For the Baptists and us, there are multiple layers of membership. Children are a part of this body long before they can decide whether they want to be Unitarian Universalists as adults. So we welcome them and teach them and hope that they will make their own decisions freely and well. And one more meaning of dedication. The ritual is also a matter of dedicating the child's life to holy purposes. In the Baptist formulation, for they also have a dedication, not a baptism, a dedication at infancy, you are dedicating the child to God from whom the child has come. For us too, whether theists or not, there is a sense of the child being dedicated to God or to all that a godly life might mean. The minister from the 1920s who used water because God desires us to be as pure as water, whom I quoted before, went on to say, let us now dedicate these children to pure and noble living and to God. In our dedications in this congregation a century later, we usually ask the child's guardians to promise to raise this child in the ways of truth, beauty, and love. The deeper meaning, as the language shifts, is that our lives have a meaning beyond simple survival or pleasure seeking. We are here to grow in goodness and wisdom to live in ways that bless the world. And as we remind ourselves that that is the purpose of our children's lives, the children of our community, we are reminding ourselves that it is our purpose as well. Now, because this ritual is ancient, of course there are embedded in it some theologies that few of us Unitarian Universalists embrace. I think the challenge for our movement as we have shifted away from Christianity and its symbolic language, by which I mean images and rituals as well as words, is not to empty our inherited rituals of meaning. It's as if we inherited this thick soup, almost a stew, and as we've taken out this and that ingredient, sometimes because uh, you know this one has a disagreeable taste or that one wasn't so good for our digestion, we're in danger of ending up with a mighty thin broth. If our process of evolution as a religion is mostly subtractive, we can end up without a language for some of the most profound experiences of human life. 
I'm trying to avoid the cliche, throw the baby out with the bathwater here, although it's particularly appropriate. The old language can leave a modern day Unitarian Universalist feeling alienated. And yet, the arrival of a child among us evokes in us needs that are as urgent as they ever were. And that this ritual has satisfied for many, many generations in its many forms. Even for those among us who think of the source of our being as the purely indifferent amoral forces of the universe, there is still a deep sense of the sacredness of a new life. Even those who do not believe that we are souls migrated from heaven who arrive here in Wordsworth's words, trailing clouds of glory from God who is our home, feel as they care for an infant or toddler that that tiny child is a teacher of wisdom and one who reveals beauty. Even those who don't believe there will ever be a moral accounting, who don't believe that there is a judge who reckons it all up at the end of our lives or the end of the universe, even those folks want to raise their children to be loving and wise, kind, fair, trustworthy, patient, determined, brave, generous, in short, to live holy lives. Even those who don't intend to insist that their children follow the same religious path that they have taken, and so might shun a term such as godparent, still wish their children to have other adults who will nurture these qualities in them. They need a community of support and challenge and respect and love to guide the children and themselves. We welcome children with a ritual because we need to proclaim that birth, adoption, parenting, mentoring, exploration and growth are holy. They are holy. We need to express that we feel this child's arrival among us to be a blessing. One of the greatest blessings that life can offer. And that we wish to shower all blessings upon the child in turn. We need to proclaim the sacredness and the difficulty of what we are undertaking, not only as parents, but as grandparents, siblings, friends of the family, and as a congregation. This faith grew in and out of and apart from Christianity. That's our roots. But as the members of our religion and of this congregation come into Unitarian Universalism from an increasingly, excitingly, diverse range of religious and cultural backgrounds, I wonder what we will add to the soup. Muslims have a tradition of whispering parts of the Adhan, the call to prayer and declaration of faith into each ear of a newborn child so that the first thing they hear will be words of God. If this is a part of your tradition, a powerful question you bring into Unitarian Universalism is what are the words we want those we love to have in their hearts from the moment they enter this world? 
Hindus have a ritual of touching a tiny bit of honey to the ears and the tongue of a newborn so that they will hear and speak only sweetness. If this is your tradition, you prompt our Unitarian Universalist faith to ask, what kind of people do we want our children to be? What kind of qualities do we want their speech to have? Jews carry out the brit milah, the bris, or circumcision, for newborn boys because it is the symbol of an ancient covenant with God. It is the sign by which each generation remembers that mutual promise. So what do we Unitarian Universalists believe the source of our being promises to us? And what do we promise it in return? What might symbolize that covenant? These are all still developments that will no doubt change our ritual of dedication, enrich it. So as we welcome children, we remind ourselves for our own sakes as well as theirs, the source of our being is a companion and help to us as we make our way through life. We are neither purely good nor the embodiment of evil, but experience impulses to do both loving and hurtful things. And we pledge ourselves to choose love as much as we can. We remind ourselves that our choices and actions make a difference. It matters what we do. We remind ourselves that we're here to grow in goodness and wisdom to live in ways that bless the world. And finally, we wish always to remember that life itself is a blessing and that the spirit of life that moves in us blesses and rejoices in everyone who nurtures life. It will be a while, we don't know how long, until we once again gather in person and dedicate a child. When we do, it will mean all of those things and more. Until then, maybe may these commitments help sustain us and bless us with joy and meaning. <laughs>